Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're looking at 2019 preseason ADP on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome on into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. Unfortunately, Matt had something come up that prevents him from being with us this week. Nonetheless, I am here and ready to take on the challenge of hosting the show by myself. We're brought to you tonight by my bookie, the FFPC, and the good folks at Untuck It. Henry the cat is with me, as well as Phoebe the dog. For those of you that have been with us all season, which anybody listening at this point, I'm assuming has, they may make an appearance as they have a number of times this season. So we have the regular season completely finished. 2019 is behind us, except for those of you out there still playing DFS through the playoffs. I have good news for you, though. You may still be playing, and that is because the FFPC has you covered with one of the funnest contests of the year. The FFPC has the longest-running and most unique playoff contest in the fantasy football universe, the FFPC Playoff Challenge. It's $200 to enter. This year, the grand prize is up to a giant half a million dollars with over $1.1 million in the total prize pool. There's no salary cap and no draft to worry about. You simply choose 10 players to make up your team's roster. Of course, there's a catch. You're only allowed to use one player from each NFL team. That means if you choose Tom Brady as your quarterback, 
you may not have any other Patriots on your roster. The roster that you select to start will be your roster for the entire duration of the playoffs, including the Super Bowl. There will not be any changes, substitutions, or free agent pickups once rosters are locked. As NFL teams get knocked out, so will your players. So choose your team wisely. This contest will sell out as it does every year. Registrations close on NFL Wildcard Saturday, January 4th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't wait. Go to myffpc.com and get your team now. That's myffpc.com and get in on that playoff challenge. It's a really fun format. There's a lot to think through as you're building your teams. Um, We talked about it a fair amount last year. I had a lot of fun playing and looking forward to it again this year. Still haven't really sat down and worked out how I'm going to approach it this season. Uh, But there's definitely a lot of ways that you could construct a team. (laughs) which Patriot I choose um, and how much emphasis I put on that Patriot remains to be seen. I'm still extremely let down by the results of the game yesterday. Just I can't even put into words what that loss feels like, but I'm going to try to make it through this show by myself. What I had been planning on doing tonight probably lends itself more to having a discussion with two people Nonetheless, I'm going to do my best to go through this by myself. What I wanted to do was look at preseason ADP for 2019. I'm going to use ESPN PPR as the source. Might be a little bit different from what you would have seen in some of the more advanced leagues out there. Nonetheless, though, it gives us a relative idea of what people were thinking heading into the season. We're going to compare that to actual results. My plan was to talk with Matt about how surprising the results were and what we could expect from these players next year. I will be doing that myself. So if you remember back to the summer, Saquon Barkley was the number one player in ADP. There was a lot of conversation. It was really between him, Alvin Kamara, if I'm remembering correctly, and Christian McCaffrey. I, by the end of the summer, had come around to saying that Christian McCaffrey should have been the number one pick. I forget if Matt did as well, uh, but it was Saquon Barkley. So, how did Barkley close off the season? I think it's one that people who drafted him will be disappointed by. There were times where he struggled with injury. Uh, He was good when he did play. But you're looking at a guy who in his rookie season had such phenomenal numbers that to get to where he did again is a tall task to ask anybody, even a player that looks like uh, he could be an absolute generational talent, something that I think that he is. So Barkley actually finishes the season with seven or excuse me, rank seven in PPR points per game and in total PPR among running backs, he ranks 11. So that seven number for PPR per game was at the running back position. Expected points per game were at five. Fantasy points over expectation per game, he ranked in at 16. In this season, he finished with... Let's see... uh, More than 30 points twice. One time he got between 25 and 30. Two games he was at 21 through 25. 16 to 20 he was at three times, but he did have four games with less than 10 points. That's something you don't 
really uh, want to have from him. And I think the hardest part about owning Barkley this season was between weeks nine and weeks 14, no RB1 finishes. Tough situation for the Giants this year. If you're Barkley, tough situation to be playing in. As I mentioned earlier, there were some issues with health. I don't think that we should let this cloud our perception, and I don't think that people will. I still think that you're looking at Barkley as probably the RB2 heading into next season behind Christian McCaffrey, who we will talk about next. Uh, there's no reason to me to be scared off by whatever the situation could look like in New York. There's a couple reasons for that. One of the most encouraging is he closed out the season, granted they were playing the Dolphins, the Redskins, and the Eagles, with three RB1 performances going for 30, 44, and 21 points. This is a guy that we've seen finish with absolutely absurd games throughout what is a short career, but there's no reason to me to be faded or to be super concerned about Barkley because of the season, and if you look at that RB7 finish in PPR per game and what you have to consider as a pretty down year for Barkley, you just should not be too concerned. And I don't know why I'm harping on this because I'm expecting that a very slim percentage of people listening to this would be against this thought of viewing Barkley as at least a top three running back selection in 2020 drafts and to give the raw numbers which you might be interested in 217 rushes averaged 4.6 yards per carry that's down from five last season six rushing touchdowns 73 targets 52 receptions 438 receiving yards two receiving touchdowns and that was in 13 games. In 2018, he played in 16, had 300 more rushing yards, five more touchdowns, uh, nearly 50 more targets, about 40 more wrecks, and around uh, like 280 more receiving yards and two more touchdowns as a receiver. I wrote about Barkley's season a couple of weeks ago, so it might be a little bit different, but you're still looking at, uh, from a historical standpoint in the last 20 years, a far above average season. So again, no reason to be too scared off by Barkley. Christian McCaffrey at number two in ADP heading into the season. There's been so much coverage over how historic his season was. It was just absolutely absurd. You probably saw one of only three players to ever go for over 1,000 rushing yards, which he crushed, and 1,000 yards as a receiver. To me, McCaffrey is the clear pick going into next season. Um, I think something that people were always worried about with that they're probably not going to be now is his ability to be durable and make it through the season. He's now done that in his three years in the league, and that is on significant workloads this season he carried the ball 287 times had 143 targets 116 receptions that is absolutely beyond absurd adds 19 touchdowns he had 15 rushing touchdowns Anything that you could try to knock him for, he has completely addressed this season. There's no reason he shouldn't be the top choice going into next season. We're looking at a player that, if he continues this pace, would probably be one of the top 10 fantasy running backs of all time. So you're definitely going to want to go ahead 
and select him as probably the uh, first overall pick next season. That's what I will be doing. I can say that confidently now. Definitely the first running back selected. You might be wondering how efficient he was this season. He went for 4.7 fantasy points over expectation per game. Was 4 points per game over expectation in 2018. It's very hard to say if that's something that continues going into next season. But the important thing is, when you have an expectation of 25 points per game, you don't even need to be significantly efficient. In fact, you could be inefficient. And there's no reason to think that this volume will change next season. I can't think of any compelling reasons as to why it would. And even if it drops by 10%, um, we're still looking at an absolutely absurd workload, which would be easy to project as the largest in the league. So don't be afraid of going out, grabbing McCaffrey number one. I, I can't imagine that anybody would. So Ezekiel Elliott was actually the third player selected last season based upon PPR ADP. I think that he's one of those players that if you didn't own him may have quietly accrued his production throughout the season. I could be wrong there. He actually finishes at fifth in PPR points per game, third in overall PPR uh, fantasy points over expectation per game. He ranked 13. He had, let's count them up here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. RB1 performances, so 56% of games he was an RB1, only went below an RB2 performance once that was in Week 10 against Minnesota. Got off to a slower start, but if you go to the Stat Explorer, a sea of green after Week 11, and on a average basis since 2017, he has averaged 13.7 per games. He's finishing with 16 to 20 points in 6.3 games per season, 30 plus two time, uh, two games per season, 25 to 32.3, 21 to 25, one game, only going under 10 one time, and only going under 15 and over 11 once. He's been pretty darn fantastic. Uh, if we look at the total numbers for this season, average 4.5 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns, rushing, two touchdowns receiving, As a receiver, saw 72 targets, 54 receptions, 419 receiving yards. This is a line that I expect him to more or less approximate next season. A question will likely become, who is the third running back for next season? Is it Ezekiel Elliott? Is it Dalvin Cook? I feel like people are probably going to be down on Alvin Kamar. Nick Chubb? probably hops into that conversation. These are things we'll break down more. Uh, Nonetheless, I feel like Elliott will be drafted high next season, and he probably should be. Overall, I feel like there's a fair number of running back names that are going to be vying to get into first-round selection status heading into 2020 drafts. We'll have to see, again, though, a really strong season for Ezekiel Elliott. And at this point, I would say that drafters did a pretty good job with those first three picks. Pick number four, we will get to. But before we do, 
I want to mention that you need to go and check out Untuck It. If you've ever seen an untucked button down, they just look bad. They weren't meant to be worn that way. It's a sloppy look. You do not want that. But thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked will match your size it will match your shape untuck it shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length no matter what you are going to look good you could be big you could be small you could be wide you could be thin you name it it's going to work there's nothing better than custom fit clothing you just look so much more well put together feel like a million bucks and with more than 50 plus fit combinations untuck it shirts look great on every body type and guys of all ages you can find your favorite untuck it style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores they have styles like wrinkle free button downs super soft flannels outerwear and more with untuck it your shirts will never look baggy bulgy too long or too big again you cannot beat that which is why you need to make sure that you head to untuckit.com. You get that relaxed style of your own. You use the code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Getting back into the list of PPR, as we just mentioned, Alvin Kamara was the fourth player going off the board in drafts not the greatest year for Kamara I think he left a lot of owners that drafted him very disappointed you look at him compared to other running backs though still finished as the eighth running back in PPR per game ninth overall in PPR points perhaps his overall finish is disappointing for a player that you grabbed fourth and I think that a major reason for that is the opportunity, it was still there. He was fifth in expected points per game at the running back position. Unfortunately, though, 38 in fantasy points over expectation per game. The weird thing here is, though, for as bad as that season felt, he still had 50% of his games finishing as an RB1. Did, though, have three games where he finished as an RB3. So that's kind of a mixed bag there, but it's still pretty strong. I think the thing separating him from what you might have hoped for is those RB3 performances. But again, overall, this is really not that bad of a season or something to scoff at, especially when you consider in the confines of Kamara, this is what I'm driving at here, an inefficient season for him still finishing as the RB8 in PPR per game. So I would say be careful how you approach him in 2019. I understand that you could be looking at a situation where um, it's possible his opportunities per game drop. I suppose that's possible. In 2019, let's see, he had 268 opportunities in 14 games 2018, he had 299, but played 15. So uh, you're looking at a very similar opportunity there. In terms of rushing yards, he averaged 4.7 yards per carry, which was 0.1 higher than he did in 2018. So that's similar. The rushing yards was less, but again, 
Uh, he played in one less game, so he had 171 rushing yards as opposed to 194 the season before. That's very similar. He actually managed 97 targets in one less game compared to 105 targets in 15, so that's fairly similar. 81 receptions. This is something wild about Kamara. He's had 81 receptions in all three of his seasons on 101 targets as a rookie, 105 in 2018, 97 in 2019. Yard per reception did fall from 8.8 to 2 and only had one receiving touchdown. The touchdown piece really is what separates this season for Kamara than the other seasons. In 2018, he had a total of 18 touchdowns. 13 in 2017. This year, just six touchdowns. So, PPR opportunity or per opportunity takes a hit there. There are reason that we should expect that this is going to be where he is. I would say no. You're probably going to see an uptick in those touchdowns. This is a player that still deserves to be in that top five conversation at the running back position. I'd love to get Matt's thoughts on this. Once we get back, again, the opportunity was there. Things didn't break his way, especially with touchdowns, which is something that is clouded with variance, I would say, especially from season to season. So you might be down on Kamara. I think, though, you still have to rule that this is one that drafters got right again. This still isn't a miss. So we might not go quite as in-depth as I'm, I want to get through all 24 of these players um, in this pod here this week, and then we can get down into the the lower rounds uh, as we move along the next couple of weeks. DeAndre Hopkins. A lot of you had him, I'm sure. A lot of you drafted him. He was five in ESPN PPR. Matt and I had that conversation about Juju and DeAndre Hopkins with Fantasy Mansion. Um, I don't think that either of these players did exactly what we were expecting. But the crazy thing is, DeAndre Hopkins still fourth in PPR per game, fifth in expected points. Like Kamara, though, not that efficient. Uh, fantasy points over expectation per game, he ranked 37. However, though, he was five in targets, two in receptions, ninth in air yards, had a whopper of two, and he went for 40% of his games as a wide receiver one. 27% as a wide receiver, too. So, though you might feel like it wasn't this ridiculous season, or at least that's what some people that I've talked with feel like, still a very successful season for him. You compare his um, numbers this season to last, and you'll see that, um, you know, it stacks up pretty well. Uh, 163 targets on 16 games in 18, missed one game in 19, so the targets fell by 13. Catches fell from 115 to 104. The yardage, though, the yards per reception did go from 13.7 down to 11.2. Touchdowns fell from 11 to 7. I don't think we really need to go through much more here, though. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins still undoubtedly a... Top three pick at wide receiver going into next season. Fully expecting to continue this pace. We have now seen a number of seasons of him just being absolutely dominant. With different quarterbacks, you put him with Deshaun Watson. It is uh, obviously a great matchup. 2018 in PPR per game, he was three. 
2017 in PPR game, he was two. I guess you could say he might be trending down. Um, but no, I wouldn't worry about that. Behind Hopkins, we had Michael Thomas with an absolutely historic season. So I have to say, Drafter's doing pretty, pretty good uh, because you look behind him, there's Dalvin Cook. I don't think we need to go into the numbers too high on Thomas, um, but just in case you've been under a rock, we will quickly look at uh, the ridiculousness of 2019. Big pause for 186 targets, 149 receptions, 1,725 receiving yards. And nine touchdowns. Insane. Um, I'm sure that he will go as the wide receiver one heading into next season. I think as long as he's in New Orleans playing with Drew Brees, there's no reason that that shouldn't change. Just such a strong season. Behind Michael Thomas, you had Dalvin Cook, which I'm actually uh, surprised that he was drafted so high. Um... I just would have expected a couple more names to have been taken before him. Nonetheless, though, really awesome season for Cook. I think people that got him were pleasantly surprised that things went just about as they could possibly have imagined. Uh, Cook finishes the season as the RB2 in PPR per game, 6th in overall PPR, 7th in fantasy points over expectation, which is nice because he was also 4th in expected points per game 57 percent of the time he was an rb1 an rb2 36 percent of the time those are the kind of numbers that you like to see unfortunately though for as awesome as he was to start the season his last rb1 performance came in week 10 against dallas and an rb2 against denver vikings weren't pie in week 12 rb2 against seattle RB2 against Detroit in week 14, and then against the Chargers in week 15, just 7.3 points, misses the finals. So for as good of a season as it was, it's possible that people forget just how solid he was, and he does not get into that top three. I think it'd be hard for him to fall out of the top six, but maybe in your particular draft next season, it's possible he falls, at which point probably a pretty good um, pretty good option for you there. Now, the interesting thing was Mike Boone, who looked like an absolutely fantastic option for Week 16, falls flat. But however, Week 17 against Chicago puts together a 24-point game and finishes with 148 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown, two wrecks on three targets and 12 receiving yards. I mention this because I think that helps support a number of things we've talked about, but in relation to Cook, it helps support that Minnesota is an offense where the running back can prosper, and that lends itself to extrapolating out to assuming that, I'm saying that kind of weirdly, but basically it's a very encouraging sign for Cook um, as long as he's not dealing with any injuries, which is always the case with the running backs. You have to feel really happy about his situation in Viking, or excuse me, in Minnesota if you're a Cook supporter. Uh, so again, we see the drafters in 2019 doing a pretty darn good job. Things though fall off with David Johnson at pick eight. We've declared David Johnson, unfortunately, 
no longer relevant in fantasy football. Freeman said he's zapped. Let's just take a look at exactly how zapped he was. But you probably don't have to look much further than what Kenyon Drake was able to do to close out the season compared to what David Johnson did when he was active. Is it true, though? Is that true? I don't know. And this is something that I will talk through more with Matt because he was an RB1 38% of weeks in 2019. Well, week one, 26 points. Week two, 8.4. Week three, 18.5. Week four, 21.9. Week five, 18.6. Week six, 28.2. So what happened? Is it really all of a sudden just overnight? He gets completely zapped and that's it. There's been injury problems for David Johnson. He's actually a pretty old back compared to how long he's been in the league. This deserves more exploration. It also begs the question of does it even matter? Is Arizona going to go back to him? Can they? Do they need to? I don't know. But boy, um... A huge fall from grace for Johnson. I guess you were okay through the beginning of the season, but he ends up finishing 36 in overall PPR, 32 in PPR per game. Things just really fell apart. I mean, it, and I kind of have a sigh here because I, I do own him on a couple of dynasty teams, and there's just nothing to feel good about moving forward. Um, I think that in the first two weeks of the season, he had more rushing attempts than he did in the back. What's that? Like six weeks. So this is a very disappointing season for David Johnson. I do think, though, it's worth revisiting him and what exactly happened in a little bit more detail uh, as we work our way through the offseason. Le'Veon Bell, pick number nine. Yeah, this could be another one where maybe you rule it as a miss. and. It, do, it shouldn't be that surprising, right? There was a couple of things that Matt and I talked about being potential things that could slow him down. Now, you could maybe point to something not helping the Jets offense being the issues with quarterback health to start the season. Um, I don't know, right? I mean, Sam Darnold's back. Week 13, 10 points against Baltimore in week 15, 10 points against Pitt. Week 16, 13.3, 13 points against Buffalo to close off the season. I don't know. Uh, He still did, though, have RB1 performances in 40% of games. Problem is, though, he did have a number of games where he's an RB3 or just flirting with around 10 points. So I think if you look at Gase clearly not being behind him heading into the season that much, not being in full support of him now, the outlook for him in 2020 does not look that great. He did finish as the RB16 in overall PPR, 19 in PPR per game, 7 in expected points per game, but 151 in fantasy points over expectation per game. Why is that? Is some of that the situation? Is some of that Bell? I don't think that you're going to see him finishing that bad in that metric next season. Um, What can I base that on? Not much other than fantasy points or efficiency metrics not always carrying year over year. And for I, I do believe that Bell is a good back. 
Um, I do believe he's the type of player that could prosper. This feels kind of like an anomaly in some regards this season. But really, though, outside of a change in teams, and even if he does change teams, it's going to be highly dependent on that team. You're probably looking at a player that should be drafted closer to RB10 than than RB5, RB6 even. So I'm going to say that the drafters did get this one wrong. We now have two misses. So drafters went 7-9 and so far. Julio Jones at 10. That, my friends, is a hit. Julio Jones has just been a model of consistency for a long time now. Finishes as the wide receiver three in PPR game, three in overall PPR, two in expected points per game, 52 in fantasy points over expectation per game. Leads the league in air yards, two in targets, five in receptions, two in receiving yards. Really not more you need to say. Was a wide receiver one in 40% of weeks, inactive 6%. Uh, wide receiver two, 13. Wide receiver three, 47% of games. So. Just another great season for Julio Jones. He has been in the league for a while now. Started playing in 2011. Um, I think that you probably still have another two years of Julio Jones being an elite wide receiver in comparison to last year. A fall from 330 PPR points to 274, which is significant. Uh, he played one more game in 16. but. The 274 is higher than what he got to in 16 and 17. In terms of yards per target, falls from 9.9 to 8.9. Touchdowns fell from 8 to 6, and yards fell from 1677 to 1394. Nonetheless, ridiculous season for Julio. Drafters got this one right. I think that you have to feel good about him going into next season. Quick reminder, even though we didn't talk about it uh, because Matt's not here, you still need to be getting in on the betting action as we make our way into the playoffs. There's still the college football championship and a handful of bowl games. You want to place your bets at my bookie. They're the best in the business. Fantastic site. Ease of use is great. Excellent customer support. You know that you're going to get that money back. See, listen, Phoebe the dog is so fired up about this. She uses them. She gets her payouts quickly. And she just can't say enough good things about my bookie. We still have the promo code ROTOVIZ that you can use to get some perks when you sign up. So definitely head to mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Tyreek Hill. Okay, she's still a little fired up. Phoebe, could you please stop? Tyreek Hill uh, only played in 12 games this season. However, still managed seven touchdowns, 860 yards as a receiver, rushing yards 23 on eight rushes, no touchdowns this year as a rusher, but he still finishes um, 12th in PPR per game. 33 and overall PPR expected points per game at 27 or let me say it differently expected points per game were 27 but as always we see Hill being efficient ranks eight in fantasy points over expectation per game Tyreek Hill is one of those rare players that manages to be efficient every season 
um, this is a trend that continues, and it's one of those reasons why, if you had any doubts about Hill after this season, you really shouldn't carry them into next season. I will probably still be drafting him like he's a top five wide receiver, given that offense, given the quarterback play you can expect in that ridiculous efficiency. Um, Hill managed to be a wide receiver one in 33% of games, wide receiver two in just 17. If he wasn't injured early on, who knows how things could have shaken out. In week one, um, I, I think that I would say you still have to give this one to the drafters. So um, doing pretty well in the first round so far. Devontae Adams. It's actually surprising to see that he went behind Tyreek Hill. Um, will be playing in the playoffs, so you might want to get him on some of those FFPC playoff challenge teams. Anyway, finished in f- as uh, wide receiver four in PPR per game, 23 in overall PPR. Of course, he did miss some time, uh, did not play between weeks five and eight. Wide receiver one in 42% of games, wide receiver two in 25%. Over the last three seasons, he is averaging four games higher than 21 points to 25 points, one game between 25 and 30. Uh, Interestingly, though, um, I may have said that incorrectly. So 4.3 games between 16 and 20 points, four games between 21 and 25 in terms of raw numbers compared to last year where he played 15 games, the targets fell from 169 to 127 receptions, 111 to 83 yards per reception. were at 12 as opposed to 12.5 and the receiving touchdowns dropped from 13 to five in the seasons prior. We had seen him at 12, 10 and 13. So that five number feels kind of low. Aaron Jones, Scored a lot of touchdowns this season. Other receivers managed to get in the end zone, but I don't think this is the type of thing where we should be expecting his 2020 receiving touchdown numbers to be closer to five than to 10. We see a little bit of an uptick, which he might not even need, and he should still be a wide receiver, a top five wide receiver. So, I don't know if I'm really saying anything new for the outlook for these players different than what you might expect, but I generally find at the end of a season is when I have the best picture of what a player is going to look like in the next season before we have all of these factors arising in the summer that look like facts, even though they might not be clouding our picture. And I think that these are the type of players where you're not often going to have many things that could change your overall perception, but I like to develop my expectations, and I think that everybody out there should do it now. Even if you sit down with a notebook, with a spreadsheet, and you write down your opinion of, this, of the player at this point in time, because you can remember the nuanced things. You can remember why maybe they had that big jump in the second half of the season and you can understand that had to do with situations in that team. Or maybe there was a reason that things dipped off. Different things like that. 
where you still have this context around the season and you have your own opinion, which will allow you to have a baseline when you start getting all of this noise and all of these different takes fired at you every day um, in the summer. I think that's a worthwhile exercise. So those were the first 12 players selected. I would say the drafters did pretty well. Only two of those are what I would consider misses, 10 hits, um, and Christian McCaffrey going as, as RB2 definitely made a lot of people happy. Odell Beckham Jr. By ADP, the first pick in round two. Absolute disaster. An absolute unmitigated disaster. Finishes as wide receiver 25 in total PPR, but wide receiver 34 in PPR per game. The workload was there to some extent. Expected points of 17. Fantasy points over expectation per game of 192. Um, This was an absolute debacle. Gave you a little bit of hope in the first two weeks with 14 points in his first game as Brown, then 28. And it gets ugly from there. Only two wide receiver one performances. Week two against the Jets. The next one did not come until Miami in week 12. Only two games where he finished as a wide receiver two. So only four times was he a wide receiver two or better. Um, I don't know if we even have to go beyond that. Doesn't seem like he's necessarily going to be in Cleveland next season. Maybe if you put him in the right situation. I mean, I shouldn't even say maybe. You put him in the right situation and he should be a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. I don't know that we can talk that much more about OBJ right now so we know more of what his situation is going to look like. Um, I think it would be fair if you wanted to adjust your expectations of Beckham in this type of context. A context that gets at any team that he's on does not make him a wide receiver one. It's going to take some type of situation conducive for him. However, though... The scary thing is, I think a lot of people thought this was a perfect situation for him. Good young quarterback, an offense, changing its identity, getting better, playing with his old teammate, Jarvis Landry, and it just did not come together. I think that a number of things happened. The Browns were just not as good. They did not take the steps that people were expecting them to, and they just weren't as good as people were expecting. Um, and Baker Mayfield, probably not as good as people thought, right? The extrapolation of the end of the 2019 or 2018 season to 2019 was wrong. Um, Lee's OBJ with just a real disappointing season. That is for sure. Miss behind him, Todd Gurley, very interesting name. I was really concerned about Todd Gurley. Um, Major proponent of Daryl Henderson coming out of college. I thought that Henderson would be able to get things going, be a usable player in the back half of the season and be pretty darn good. That didn't happen. A lot of that is because Todd Gurley managed to bounce back from his ailments in 2018, finishes as the running back 14 in PPR. 
total, 16 in PPR per game, 16 in expected points per game in a season where the Rams largely did not live up to what they would have hoped or to expectation. So where are we with Gurley? Well, I don't think that you're going to see a version of Todd Gurley again like the one that we saw in 2018. You're probably looking at a player that will finish more in that RB12 to RB18 type of range than he will in that RB1 to RB7 type of range. Uh, 374 PPR points in 2018, 387 in 2017, 223 in 2019. Rushing went down to 223 carries, but in the season before, he was at 279 and 256. So this wasn't really that much of a volume thing as as much as it was the yards per carry fell to 3.8 versus an average of 4.8 in the two seasons prior. Still put up 12 rushing touchdowns, which is very impressive. The targets fell from the 80 range down to 50. That right there is chopping off. If you look at the receptions, 20 PPR points, fewer yards per reception, receiving touchdowns did go down. The encouraging thing here, though, is you can reasonably project Gurley for 10 rushing touchdowns next season pretty easily. Maybe another two as a receiver, and that touchdown volume keeps him relevant. Uh, If people get worried about his numbers, which I'm trying to think through if people really will, maybe there's concerns about um, usage going into the 2020 season. I think the thing that you could lay your hat on with Gurley is the touchdown production. I can't really give a solid opinion though on what we should do with him because I'm not sure where people are going to value him. I don't think for me that I'm drafting him for sure in round two. Uh, But if Gurley were to slip into the third round, he's an absolute must draft next season, I think, because, again, that touchdown volume should keep him in that high-end RB2 type of range. And it's possible he does, especially if the Rams have a stronger season next year, that he's able to get into that low-end RB1 conversation. I think this is another one the drafters got. So, so far, only only three wrong. And then we get to Juju Smith-Schuster, who... We've already talked about a lot this season. Um, Everything went wrong. Um, Matt and I, we had him as maybe even our top overall. Well, I think we were both taking McCaffrey and Barkley before Juju, but he was in the conversation for our number one overall. Finishes with 63 PPR points, 61 in PPR per game, expected points of 54. And fantasy points over expectation, we're at 128. From a dynasty perspective, you should not be confused. You should still have Juju very high in your rankings. He should still be commanding a great deal of value. How much of this relates to Ben Roethlisberger? It's hard to say, but you can fairly conclude that the quarterback situation had to have hindered him 
the drop between what you were seeing in the play from a guy like Ben Roethlisberger to what you were getting out of Hodges and Rudolph, that is a vast difference. Yes, we were a little overzealous. You could maybe even say a fair amount overzealous. But really, in a bad season for Juju with Ben, I think it's hard to imagine him going lower than a wide receiver too. Nonetheless, things play out. He's a wide receiver too, to 17% of weeks. Only goes over 20 points twice and has one wide receiver in one week. It's a lost season. Where am I taking him heading into 2020 drafts? I don't know yet. I still think for me he's clearly a wide receiver. One, is he a top five pick? I don't know. Assuming Roethlisberger returns, though, I think that I'm probably going to end up taking him in a fair amount of leagues in the second round. And I don't have that much concern about it. This is a season that is aberrant. I don't think that it is one we can use to draw conclusions on Juju and definitely not one where we should focus heavily on the negatives. There's not a fact pattern that really supports it. Uh, I'm pretty confident that Matt would agree with that. In fact, I think we've already talked about it before. So let's move on. That is a miss. We're now at four misses through 15 picks. And then you have Nick Chubb. Okay, I was I was worried about Nick Chubb. Even when it became apparent that there was going to be a big workload when Duke Johnson was moved. And it didn't have anything to do with Kareem Hunt, which did impact him to some extent. But my concern was that we wouldn't see Cleveland take this step forward. That piece was right. Um, but what I may have missed out on was the fact that either that offense was built to be able to support Chubb, which I didn't feel like at the time, or Chubb is even better than I thought. Doesn't matter. Chubb is so good. Um, I think that he will be a top five pick at the running back position going into next season. And I think that I would take him there. Um, the production, man, it was just absolutely killer. Uh, playing with another back, though, could be a concern, right? First six weeks, um, four RB1 finishes. The back um, weeks, where's that nine? So weeks eight to 17, just two RB1 finishes. So there really was a tale of two seasons here, I think you could say. Um, that is a little bit concerning. Does finish as RB11 in PPR per game because of that substantial fall off number eight in overall PPR. Was nine in expected points per game, 38 in fantasy points over expectation per game. Third in attempts, number four in overall opportunity. Averaged five yards per carry, eight rushing touchdowns, 36 receptions. Yeah, uh, I would say that people definitely got this one right. The drafters got this one right. Heading into 2020, I think I do have him as a top five running back. Not much more there to say on Chubb. Try to move through these a little bit quicker now. Travis Kelsey. Um with an ADP of 17, he kind of got off to an odd start in that he was not scoring many touchdowns. We did not see many high point games. Um, definitely though, don't lose sight of the fact that he was a tight end one in a ridiculous 88% of weeks. 
did go over 20 points, one, two, three, four, five, six, with three of those coming between weeks 13 and week 16, was strong in the playoffs, proved why he was the number one pick at tight end position, did score the most overall points, was number one in PPR per game at tight ends. Number two in expected points per game. And by the way, one in targets, one in wrecks, one in receiving yards, four in overall touchdowns. Scored just five touchdowns in 2019 versus eight in 17. Ten in 2018. Yardage was fairly consistent to the prior years. Uh, Kelsey probably will be and should be the number one pick heading into next season. A player that I will want to talk more about with Matt is Evan Ingram, who I think had he kept playing was possibly going to get himself into that conversation with George Kittle and Kelsey and maybe even Zach Ertz. So Engram, I know I'm kind of getting off topic here, but through the first nine weeks of the season was a tight end one in 62% of games, started off the season with 29 points, had 23 in week three. Anyways, let's get back on traffic. Amari Cooper went um, number 18. Cooper finishes out the season with a pretty solid campaign. He was a wide receiver one in 25% of weeks, um, number 10 in overall PPR Wide receiver 16 in PPR per game. I think that people were drafting Cooper would have wanted a little bit more. And it did feel at many points like he had a stronger season than he finished with. And he was actually substantially a boomer bust type of player. So um, if you looked at the, at the stat explorer, it becomes more apparent. But we see really... It almost looks like this distribution, is. it looks like binomial in that you see either games that are going above 20 points or games that are below 15. Um, yeah, it's a pretty telling graph. And closes off the season with just 2.9 points in week 15, six and a half against Philly in week 16 kind of lets you down in the playoffs and then just 14 points against Washington, which is fine. But compared to those games where he's getting 27, 40 points, 32, 20, um, it's really just pulling down that average, which is why we see him ending up as 16th uh, as wide receiver 16 in PPR per game. I think looking ahead to next season, I he's probably really a fringe wide receiver um, one for me. When you have guys like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, who we'll talk about later uh, as possibilities. Actually, Mike Evans went right behind him. Evans, in contrast, had a much better season, of course, playing with that 30 passing touchdown, 30 interception, Jameis Winston, giving you more opportunity to air it out will help. Evans, Number seven in expected points per game, 22 in fantasy points over expectation, finishes as number four in PPR per game, 15 in overall PPR. Tremendous in the air yards department as wide receiver three. 
he also has such an interesting distribution. His is even more varied. Zero wide receiver two performances, but let me count them up. One, two, three, four, five wide receiver one performances. So he had two games over 40 points, uh, a 36-pointer, a 21, and a 19. And then his other games were 4.8, 10, 12, 11, 9, 9, and 13. That's a really mixed bag. Um, But he did single-handedly win you weeks. I guess you would have to rule this was a pretty solid pick by drafters. Um, I could see, though, how he left a bad taste in owner's mouths to close the season. You go from 42.8 points in week 8, 36 in week 9, to then averaging around 10 points per game to close things off. And uh, unfortunately, he also missed the playoffs. So you have to rule that this one was a good pick for drafters based upon ADP. Um, unfortunately though, it just didn't work out at 20. You had James Connor. Uh, I think it was a right pick. Unfortunately though, James Connor deals with some health issues, um, that prevented him from finishing higher 34 in overall PPR 18 in PPR per game. Uh, to open the season goes with 11, 14, 10 points. Week four against Cincinnati, 27, 12 points against Baltimore. Then he had 30, 31 against the Chargers, 24 against the Dolphins. Maybe would have been able to put things together a little bit more, but then that's when the injuries start to crop up. It's hard to really diagnose this season. Um, I don't know what you rule on this one. I think, yeah, like I said earlier, it's one where the drafters got it right. It didn't work out, but I do think I would have to assign this as a miss given when you combine the whole picture with those missed games and the lower point totals to start off the season. Uh, Keenan Allen at 21. Really strange season for Keenan Allen. Uh, Definitely up and down and... For sure, um, a disappointment overall. However, though, a 43.6 performance in week three, 26.3 in week one, really hoisted up 23 points in week 17. Oddly, though, only a wide receiver won in those games that I just just mentioned, and then only in 25% of games was a wide receiver too. So he had a number of games going under 10 points. Um, In fact, he went under 15 in one, two, three, six, seven, in eight games. So he went under 15 in more than half of the, or or, or in half of his games this season, does manage to finish as a wide receiver six overall and wide receiver eight in PPR per game, thanks to seven, a rank of seven in expected points per game. I guess you have to rule that he was a hit. I think he definitely, though, let let drafters down. Um, I'm probably not viewing him as a top 10 wide receiver next season. Um, maybe that's wrong, and it's probably something that I need to look into a little bit more. That's just kind of my quick 
uh, I hate to just go to a gut feeling, but I do think there's things to be concerned about. Philip Rivers didn't look quite as sharp this season. I don't know. We'll have to see where, where drafters are going with him. I think that he probably will end up going in the third round of drafts, which could be interesting. Joe Mixon uh, at 22. So we have to make a bit of an assessment here, right? Because Mixon ends up finishing as the RB13, which is good, only 21 in PPR per game. 13 expected points, but was so inefficient to start things off at 130 in fantasy points over expectation per game. However, though, if we look at weeks one through eight, two performances over 17 points, everything else below 11, and one, two, three, four below 10 points. If you look at week 10 on, there's one, two, three, four, five out of eight games as an RB1, an RB2 performance. A 30-point game, a 27-point game, completely different in that back half. I think that what we see next year from him is more like the back half, and that is because he is a pretty good back. Um, perhaps it's not the best situation in Cincinnati, but things went there very poorly, and he still managed to end up putting things together. Um, the track record that we've seen from him, it, it, so to give a give a quick idea here let me just pull up 2018 and read off this season ending numbers he was 10 in ppr 9 in ppr per game of course things change in that season though um he does have a lot better success in terms of rb1 games he was an rb1 50 percent of the time so I'd feel decent about Mixon. I think that he's probably a low-end RB1 heading into this, heading into 2020. Um, I imagine, too, that's probably where we'll see people taking him. So I will give that a hit, actually. Leonard Fournette at pick 23. Finishes 7 in PPR per game, 9, or excuse me, 7 overall PPR, 9 in PPR per game. Definitely a hit. Um, an RB1 in 47% of games, an RB2 in 33%. Really strong season for Fournette. Um, in terms of overall numbers, at 4.3 yards per carry, crazy thing is, he had just three rushing touchdowns. Very easily could add onto that three, four more touchdowns next season. Um, in his career, had nine in 2017. 5 in 2018, 3 in 2019. Of course, we've seen the team kind of trending downward. Um, nonetheless, though, should be drafted as an RB1 next season. I don't think that really changes. Um, that's probably around where he'll go. So that's another hit for drafters. And to close things out, George Kittle, who may have been scaring those of you that owned him to start off the season, has a really strong finish, justifies that ADP, and finishes as... The tight end two in PPR per game, three in overall PPR, four in targets, uh, eight in total touchdowns, a tight end one in 86% of games. Um, and the funny thing is, so he started off with 13.4 points, 8.4 and 11.7. So if you go outside of just the tight end conversation, uh, you're looking at a player that you draft in the second round, you're probably hoping that you get more points. Does end up though. Um, really turning things around, solidifying that position. Number of weeks over 20 points. 
a really good stretch to close off the season. 18.7 against New Orleans, 26 against Atlanta, 20 against the Rams in week 16. Also put up 16 in week 17. A lot of reasons to love Kittle going into next season. And the raw numbers, almost 10 yards per target, 1,053 receiving yards, now has more than 1,000 receiving yards in back-to-back seasons. Only played 14 games this year, five touchdowns in both seasons. So that was actually a hit. So by my numbers, out of the first two rounds, drafters really only missed on five players. Biggest miss, probably Odell Beckham followed by Juju Smith-Schuster and then probably David Johnson because you actually did get production out of David Johnson to start the season. So of the things that I'm really curious to talk about with Matt once he returns next week, I think we will make some time to talk about David Johnson. And if it really is fair that we conclude he is just zapped or if we determine that there's more that needs to be looked at so that does it for today's show we should have matt back next week we're gonna be try we're gonna try to be here every single week leading up to next season with maybe just a week or two off so make sure that you keep checking us out please leave us a review please rate the podcast feel free to unsubscribe and maybe subscribe again that all helps us out and also Follow me on Twitter, please. Do that uh, at DaveKabenFF. And shoot me over some things that you want Matt and I to talk about as we make our way into the 2020 season. We always love to hear from you. You can also email us at uh, radio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.